The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, John 6, verse 35. And uh, if you have neither our app nor a Bible, fear not, we'll have the big one up on the screen here. But John 6, 35. And it says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws Him, and I will raise Him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. This is God's word for us today. Awesome. Well, we are in the, uh, the third week of a, of a series that we're in this Lent. And Lent, uh, just so you know, is these 40 days that, that lead up to Easter and is these time of, this time of reflection and fasting and, and repentance where we really look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and in the empty tomb. Uh, and so we're in this series called His Father, Our Father. And what we're doing is we're looking at the, the doctrine of God, uh, who God is, what's He like, what are His attributes like, how has He revealed Himself to us. And, and of course, I was like, a massive doctrine. There's no way we could ever get into all of it. And, and frankly, we could spend our entire lives doing it. We wouldn't be able to get into all of it. Um, so what we're doing is we're saying, hey, how can we explore the doctrine of God in, in a unique way? And so what we're doing is we're going through the Lord's Prayer, uh, petition by petition, which I'll get into what that is in a second here. And we're seeing those embodied in the life of Jesus. And so that's how we're kind of exploring who God is. And so the first week we looked at, at God as our Father in heaven. And we saw that in, in the life of Jesus as, as he began his ministry. And then last week we looked at what's called the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, uh, which is thy kingdom come. And we saw that in action as Jesus sent out 72 of his followers. And today we're going to look at the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is thy will be done. That God's will would be done. And we're going to see that uh, unveiled in Jesus' little sermon that we just read here in a little bit. Uh, so as we get into it, let me, let me just say this. Um, so based on, on, on purely anecdotal evidence, all right, so there's no scientific study behind this. It's just a, a, a pastor's anecdotal evidence. So take it, take it for what you want. Uh, I think that uh, probably the most common question people have about God is this. If God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Right? You guys got friends, you probably asked that too. I think that's probably the most common question. I think the second most common question that, that at least I get is this. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? And so I think those, those are the top two, at least, that I've experienced. That if God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? And then secondly, what is God's will for my life? And those are good questions to ask. Nothing wrong with asking those. Those are good questions to ask. Uh, but I do have bad news today. 
I'm not answering either one of those questions today. Okay, I just brought them up to keep you interested, and then I'm going to talk about something much more boring. Uh, so, no, no, no. I, and I'm not going to talk about either one. I'm not going to talk about the first one because that's just not the topic today. All right? I have some other sermons. You can go back on our podcast and listen to them if you want, but that's just not our topic today. I'm not talking about the second one, what's God's will for my life, because I don't know. Right? Like, like I don't know what God's will is for your life. I don't know. It doesn't, it, it's not told me. I was just this last week, I was, I was, uh, I was meeting with a, a friend of mine, she's a gal, who uh, we were talking about what God's will is in her life, what God wants her to do, who he wants her to be. And this is a gal, she's like, she's served as a missionary in some really hard to reach places for years. Uh, she's now back in the state, she's, she's working on staff uh, at a local church, she's like really well read in theology and spirituality, like, like if any person in the world should know what God's will is for her life, it'd be this girl. And after an hour and a half of her and I talking about it, we landed nowhere. We have no idea what's going on in her life. Why? Because reality is God's Word doesn't work like that. Like, like, like the Bible is, is not a self-help book that guides you in a path to self-fulfillment. It's just not. Now, of course, there's wisdom in there on how to live a wise life and who God's created you to be. And that's, that's of course, that's all there. But the Bible primarily primarily the Bible is about revealing God's will and us trying to find our place within that. The Bible is primarily God revealing His will and each of us trying to find our place within His will. And so this is what we see in our text today. Is we're going to see God reveal His will. And we're going to see it in three ways. We're going to see God reveal His will in Christ. And then we're going to see our will against God's will. Okay? And then we're going to see God reveal his will ultimately for us. All right, so we'll see God's will in Christ, our will against God's will, and finally, God's will for us in an ultimate sense. All right, uh, so let's get into it. Let's look at uh, God's will in Christ. Look with me at verses 35 to 37. It says this, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All right, so just to, to give you a little bit, Jesus is, he starts this kind of little sermon that he's about to do, and he's talking to this big crowd of people, and the first words out of his mouth are, I am the bread of life. Which is a weird thing to do, right? Like, like if, if I started my sermon and came up here and was like, I am the tortilla of life. Like, you guys are going, what is going on? All right, like, where is this headed? So, so let me give a, a little bit of context to what Jesus is doing here. So if we were to read John chapter 6, where this takes place, we were to start at the beginning. Uh, this is what happens. At the beginning of John chapter 6, uh, if you grew up in church, you're going to be familiar with this story. There's this huge crowd of over 5,000 people uh, that Jesus feeds, feeds all of them with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And it says that, that when he did that, the people were just amazed at this miracle. They're blown away by it. They're like, this guy is a prophet just like Moses. And then in fact, uh, it says this, verse 15 in John 6, it says that Jesus could tell that they wanted to make him king, and so he ran away to the mountains. Uh, it's like this really funny detail where he's like, oh, those folks are coming for me, and he just takes off into the mountains. And so, so Jesus goes and hides out in the mountains away from this massive crowd, and his disciples get really bored of waiting for him, and so they just say, hey, let's get in our boat, and we'll sail across the Sea of Galilee. 
And so they do that. But then there's kind of like this moment where Jesus comes down from the mountains and he sees them out there and he's like, hey, wait for me, guys. And so he just walks on the water to the boat as one does. And, um, and he gets in their boat and they sail to the other side of the sea. And so they land there. They stay the night there. The next day, everybody wakes up. The crowds wake up and they're like, where'd Jesus go? We were going to make him king. Where's his disciples? What's going on? And so they're like, oh, I bet he's on the other side of the sea. And so all the people get in boats, and they sail across the sea to find Jesus. I don't know who has this much time, but they do. And so they're sailing across the sea. They show up, and they find Jesus again. They're like, hey, bro, where'd you go? Do you have any more bread for us? And, and Jesus says to them, he says, don't get so focused on the bread. He says, don't get so focused on the bread that will perish. He says, instead, be focused on food that will last forever, which the Son of Man will give to you. He says that to them, and they say, okay, well, what, what good work should we do for God so that we can get this bread that lasts forever? What's, what's the thing God needs us to do so that we can get this bread that lasts forever? And Jesus says to them, believe in me. Believe in me. And they say, well, okay, but like, what sign can you do for us so that we can see whether or not you're worth believing in? You know, our, our, our prophet Moses, the greatest prophet in, in Israel's history, uh, he gave us bread. Do you want to give us some more bread again? We'll, we'll take some more bread. Uh, to which Jesus responds, enough with the bread already. Don't you know gluten's bad for you? You know? No, Jesus said, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. God gave you bread. And then Jesus says this, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the crowd says to him, sir, give us this bread always. And to that statement, Jesus responds with our text for today and says, I am the bread of life. Now let's just think about what Jesus is saying in the context of John chapter 6, all right? So this is a, a group of people that he fed, and these people try to make him king, right? And they say, hey, here's this king. He's going to take care of us. He's going to feed us. This is going to be a good government in which all our needs are met. And then he runs away. And then they find him and they say, hey, hey, Jesus, are you like Moses? Are you a prophet that can do some miraculous sign for us that, that can give us bread in the desert? And finally, Jesus just says to them right here, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not just another guy giving you bread. I am the bread. I'm not just another prophet running around performing miracles. I'm not just another king leading his people. I am the bread of life. I'm the king behind all kings. I'm the prophet behind all prophets. I am the source of life itself. That's what he's saying. He's saying if you want to have true life with God, it's through me. If you want to be truly satisfied in this life, no matter what comes your way, hunger, thirst, employment, unemployment, good government, bad government, whatever, Jesus says, I'm it. He says, I am the source of true life with God. He says, come to me and you will never hunger or thirst again. And then Jesus takes it even further. And he says this, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so Jesus says here, hey, I am the source, the source 
of true life with God. And then he says, and I'm here to do one thing, and that's God's will. And then here he explains what God's will is. And he says there's two parts to it. The first part is that he would not lose anything that God has given to him. And the second part to it is he says that all who look to him, all who look to Christ and believe in him, they'll have eternal life and be raised on the last day. And so more succinctly put, Jesus says this, God's will for the whole world is that all people would believe in Jesus, experience life with God, and be, have the hope of resurrection. That's what Jesus says right here. Jesus says God's will for the whole world, all people, all time, all space, is that all people would believe in Jesus, experience life with God, and have the hope of resurrection. That's what thy will be done means. All people believe in Jesus, experience life with God, the hope of resurrection. Thy will be done. That's it. Now, I say all that, and I know. Oh, I know. There's someone here. There's probably several here today, this morning. Someone says, whoa, 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 whoa. All people believe in Jesus? You're saying that the, the only way to life with God is through Jesus? Give me a break. Give me a break. Come on, the world is so much bigger. It's so much more complicated than that. It's so much more diverse than that. You're saying all access to God comes through this one guy who lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East? I don't think so. If that's you, and oh, by the way, in some sense, that's probably all of us, actually. We're not alone. We're not alone. Look what happens next in our text. Verse 41 and 42. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? All right, so Jesus says, I'm the bread of life that's come down from heaven. You've got to believe in me to have life with God. And all of a sudden, you notice this in this text, all of a sudden this crowd that loved him, they wanted to make him king. They thought he was a prophet like Moses. They loved him. All of a sudden, they turn on him. Why are they grumbling? Why don't they like it? Because he went too far. He went too far, right? I mean, just think about it. If you're the crowd, here's Jesus, this guy giving us free bread. Great. Love this dude. Free meal's awesome. This guy could be king. Yeah, sign me up. Let's make this guy king. Hey, actually, this guy's a prophet. He seems pretty sharp. Let's follow him. But for Jesus to say what he says about being the bread of life, that he's the source of all life, that he's the son of the living God come down from heaven, that he's the only way to eternal life with God, that he's going to raise people from the dead, like, easy, buddy. Pump the brakes, Jesus. That's too far. And see, this, this is always the problem with Jesus. Just so you know, this is his problem. He always goes too far. He always goes too far. Like, can you imagine, if Jesus had just said, oh, you guys want to make me king? Yeah, I'll be a king. I'll be a great leader of people. I'll be like Alexander. I'll be like Caesar. I'll be like old, honest Abe. He's coming a few centuries, guys. Just trust me, right? He'd be a great historical figure. Or my goodness, if, if Jesus had just said, yeah, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet like all the other prophets. So you can go ahead. You lump me in with Moses. Lump me in with Muhammad, with Joseph Smith, with Buddha, with, uh, with Krishna. Go ahead. Throw me in there. I'm just, I'm just another prophet. But he doesn't do that. In this text, Jesus says, I stand alone. He says, I'm the bread of life. 
And God's will is that all people would look to me. All people would trust in me. All people would experience life in me. And see, if we're honest, I say that, and that just grates against our modern sensibilities. It's just too exclusive. It's uncomfortable. But here's the deal. It grates against our modern sensibilities, not because we have an intellectual problem with what Jesus says, but because we have a volitional problem with what Jesus says. It's a problem of our will. See, a lot of times, I, maybe you have friends like this. I have friends of mine that, that uh, aren't, aren't Christians, they'll, they'll say to me like, hey, Gabe, you know, it's, it's really cool that you believe in Jesus and everything. And, you know, I, I would do that. I'd love to do that. But I, I'm, just, I'm just too rational. I'm just such like, I just can't get, get past how rational I am. I say, well, yeah, no, I totally understand. I feel bad for you because, of course, I believe in unicorns and, and fairies and leprechauns. And so that's why it's so easy for me to believe. As uh, a joke, 11 o'clock. Okay. Um, and so... <laughs> Um, at any rate, and so, no, it's, it's not a problem of the intellect. The problem of disbelief is not a problem of the intellect. The problem is a problem of our volition. It's a problem of our will. Because the reality is this, is that if, if Jesus was just a king, then we can just relegate him as a unique figure in history. And if Jesus is just a prophet, then he's no different than any other prophet throughout any other time. And we can just kind of lump him in with everybody else, and, and who knows which guy's right. But Jesus calls himself the bread of life. And when he does that, he imposes his will on you. He imposes his will on me. Because either he is who he says he is. And if that's the case, then I need to conform my will to his. I need to build my entire life around him. Or... He's a liar and a lunatic. And the billions of people that have followed him throughout the centuries and follow him to this day need to be told that and warned, and I should radically oppose him. But either way, when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he imposes on our will. And we've got to deal with that. Now, I say that, and someone here may say, like, uh, no, Pastor, there's a third way out of this. You're saying either he's a lunatic or we, we embrace him. But see, maybe it's just that Jesus never said this. Maybe, maybe the Gospels just aren't historically reliable documents, and the real Jesus never said that. Uh, and quite frankly, every year, right around this time, uh, History Channel, Time Magazine, National Geographic, they always do some special on the quote-unquote historical Jesus, uh, as if it's different from the Jesus of the Gospels. And, and they always get some sort of fringe and dated New Testament scholars who've got books to sell uh, to come in and comment on who they think the historical Jesus is. And what's amazing is that every time they do these, these specials, the Jesus that ends up getting described as historical ends up looking exactly like a 21st century Western academic. Which is weird, because he's a first century Middle Eastern carpenter. So I, like, I don't know how he went to Princeton, but like he did. I, it's just, it's uncanny. Why does that happen? There's a, a legitimate New Testament scholar named Dr. Michael Lacona, uh, and he comments on why this happens. He says this, When bias is left unchecked, the results are a practice of history that is a sort of fantasy world where undisciplined imagination reigns. Responsible method is consigned to lower-class housing and largely ignored. An exegesis serves as a torture chamber where the historian stretches the biblical text and the meaning of words until they tell him what he wants to hear. Listen, the problem with Jesus' claims here in this text is not a problem of intellect. 
It's a problem of volition. It imposes on our will, and we don't like that. Gospels are outrageously reliable documents. The problem with Jesus' claim here is our will. There's a famous illustration that I think gets at it really well, um, and, and it goes like this. So, suppose you had a friend who believed he was dead. So your friend believes he's dead, like walking around doing his thing, but is insistent that he is dead. And so, of course, you're very worried about your friend's mental state, right? And so you're going to say, all right, well, I'm going I'm to come alongside you. I'm going to help you realize that you are alive and you are not dead. And so you get the, the top five medical books that exist right now. All, all that scientific medicine has to say about the body and life, you get the top five books and you take them to your friend and you say, hey, look, let's look at, this is the best scientific medicine that's out there in the world. And all of these scholars agree, they all say that dead people don't bleed, right? Dead people don't bleed. So, so you show it to him in all five books and your friend looks at it and he says, okay, yep, yep, absolutely. And he says, so what? And so you take your friend's hand and you take a knife and you cut it and he bleeds and he looks at his hand and he's shocked. And you say, ah, do you see what this means? Do you see what this means? And he says, yes, of course, I, I do see what it means. It looks like all of medical science is wrong. I'm actually dead. Now, dead people do bleed, right? Now, what's going on there? So the problem with this guy was not a problem of intellect. It was a matter of authority. That this guy trusted himself above all else. Didn't matter what medical science told him. Didn't matter what all the experts said. He doesn't want his will challenged by anything else. He won't let his volition be challenged. And see, the same is true for many of us. That we don't want to be challenged by a Jesus who claims to be the bread of life. The only source of life with God. But that's exactly what Jesus does. And he does that because his will is emphatically bound to the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is that all people would look to Jesus and believe and have life in him. He doesn't offer an easy way out. Either you build your life around him completely, or you've got to stop the rest of us from getting duped by this lunatic. That's all he gives us. See, and then let's say you say, okay, pastor, I'm with you. I'm tracking with you. Uh, yes, Jesus is who he says he is, bread of life. I'm with you. I'm going to live into God's will in Christ. And say you do that, which I think many of us do here. What's going to happen then, if you've lived life at all, is you run into the problem of how that plays out in our lives. Because it gets really tricky. For example, uh, this past Sunday, uh, I, I suffered an injury at my soccer game. I'm okay. Thank you for your prayers. Um, none of you did. None of you did. No one, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I fell, which is no surprise, uh, in, in gravel, and I cut my hand. And uh, it was bleeding, and so I showed my son Titus afterwards, who's four, because, you know, blood's cool. And so I showed him, I was like, Titus, check this out. He's like, ah! So anyway, so I showed it to him. And then later this week, uh, he came up to me and goes, hey, Dad, can I see your owie from your hand that, that you got at your soccer game? And I said, sure. And so I, show him, I showed him my hand, and he goes, that doesn't look like it did before. And I said, well, yeah, Titus, you know, our, uh, it's, 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 that's because it's healing. It's healing itself. And he goes, well, why don't you just ask Jesus to heal it? And I was like, what are you, like some sort of pastor's kid, you know, like nerd? And uh, no, I said, you know, well, well, Jesus is healing it. You know, in a way, he, he created our bodies to heal themselves after, after we get cuts. But I think the question my, my son asked there, why doesn't Jesus just heal it, is a question that a lot of people have. Why doesn't he just do away with all the pain and the suffering? I guess I'm going to talk about suffering today. 
Why is that part of his will? And the short answer is, I, I don't know exactly. But I do know that he promises to be with you in the midst of it. That he promises to be with us in the midst of it. I don't know if you caught this in verses 37 and 39. I want to reread them for you. Jesus speaking says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So Jesus says here, verse 37, uh, anyone, anyone who looks to me, who trusts in me, who unifies himself with me, who places their life in me, he says, I will never cast them out. I will never turn them away. Doesn't matter what they did. Doesn't matter what they're doing. Doesn't matter what they're going to do. Doesn't matter if you had a bad week. Jesus says, there is no sin. There is no brokenness. There's no darkness in this world that could ever lead me to cast any of my people out. Anyone who's put their trust in me is in forever. And see, we can take him at his word because Jesus followed the Father's will all the way to the cross when he was cast out of the presence of God that we might never lose that. That we might always walk with him. Secondly, verse 39, Jesus says, I'll never lose you. The will of him who sent me that I should, not lose, I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. What that means is that no matter what you're going through or what you've gone through, sickness, Disease, kids being sick, financial ruin, broken relationships, whatever it is, Jesus says, no matter what, whatever comes your way, I will never lose you. I will hang on to you in the midst of whatever storm you're in. I'm walking with you all the way to the end until the last day when I raise you up to new life again. And see, we can trust Jesus again because after he died, he rose three days from the grave, which means he beat death, which means anything that comes our way is not bigger than he is, is not stronger than he is. And he promises to keep his grip tight on you through the midst of everything. So here's the deal. Conforming our will, our volition, to the will of the Father is not easy. It's really hard. But what we see in Jesus' promises here is that as we do that, we get a joy that keeps us buoyant through the ups and downs in life. And that as we do that, we get a hope for an eternity that is going to be beyond what we can even imagine. And Jesus actually taps into this at the end of this text. You guys look with me at verses 43 to 47. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So, I don't know if you noticed when I just read this set of verses here, if you noticed it as we've been going through this text, but in this little sermon, it's just 12 verses. In 12 verses, Jesus says, I will raise them up. I will raise them up to new life. I will raise them up. He says it three times in 12 verses, again and again and again. He's emphasizing this idea that he's going to raise people that are in him up to new life. Why does he do that? Like, Why is he emphasizing that point so much? He's doing that because he's talking about God's will and the ultimate fulfillment of God's will 
is when he raises each of us up, when he raises you up, and you stand face to face with God. And I say that, and we think about the idea of standing face to face with God, and that sometimes maybe is a scary thought. But the reality is it's meant as an encouragement. That throughout the scriptures, that's meant as an encouragement. That if you're in Christ, it means that God looks at you with the same sort of love that he has from his son from eternity. And so to stand face to face with God is going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be a magnificent thing. He's going to look at you with the love that he looks at Jesus with. And so when we stand before him face to face, it's nothing to fear. Like literally throughout the Christian tradition, we call this the beatific vision. The the beautiful vision. John, in in one of his letters that he wrote later on in the New Testament, the gospel writer John wrote wrote three letters at the end of the New Testament, and uh, and he he says this about about seeing God face to face. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So I don't often think about the beatific vision or seeing God face to face, uh, but there's people who have and who do. And uh, one of them is a, a Puritan writer named John Flavel. And, uh, and he comments on, on what this day will be like when God's will is brought to complete fulfillment. And we actually stand face to face with him. And so I just want to close with his words. And he says this, when we see him face to face, what will it be like? The understanding can know no more. The will can will nothing other. The emotions of joy, delight, and love are all in their proper center. For all good is in this chief good. As all the rivers of the world come from the ocean, as you bring a great ship into a narrow channel, she cannot swim or sail but runs aground. But give it sea room and depth, and she can turn and sail before the wind. And so it is here. All that delights you in earthly things can never satisfy you, for all your desires are in God. The comforts you have here are only drops, inflaming, not satisfying the appetites of your soul. But the Lamb will lead you into fountains of living water. Friends, this is what Jesus invites you into. It's what the bread of life promises for each of you. This is God's will for you in Jesus. Let's talk to him. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. You came as the bread of life that we might know life with God, that we might have the hope of eternity with you and God. God, teach us to conform our wills to yours. God, anything that stands in the way of us living completely for you, we pray that that you would shake that from us. May our lives be lived for you and for your will alone. May the hope that you've given us inspire us each day. We pray this all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.